Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I've realized that some of some of my parenting style has been more rooted in revenge and resentment, mm. right? So I've been thinking through this this theory of revenge parenting. How much of you, your decision to be right, to do right, to tap into this masculine vulnerability is showing people in your past that in spite of I'm going to be this and how much of it is natural genuine desire to just yeah. be better. I think that uh, that most of it comes from a place um, that says that this is necessary for my emotional well-being and the emotional well-being of the people around me, you mm-hmm. know? And so um, I think for me, it's it's not really even for other people, right? Like it, it's, it's mostly for me. Yeah. You know, because I want to be the best version um, of a man that I can be. You know, now I will say that um, seeing my parents' marriage fall apart caused me to go on a journey before I got married that said, uh, you know, marriage is not really important right now Mm. until it became important to me. All right, let's get it, man. Welcome to the Dead Son Show. We have meaningful conversations about life through the lens of fatherhood most of the time. (laughs) (laughs) Things are a little bit different on this episode. Actually, it's an ode to how it started. Um, It was guest-driven at first, and it saved my life because I was tired of hearing me speak. But tonight, we we got a fantastic guest because that's all I've ever done is fantastic guests. So you're in for a treat. You don't have to listen to just me. Nate Cotman, welcome to the Dear Son Show. How are you, my brother? Man, it's good to be here. Man, it's good to have you here. It's an honor to be here. And I received that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I received that, man. How you, how you feeling, man? I feel good. Good. I feel good. You good. know what I'm saying? I feel like, uh, feel like I'm in a good space. Yeah. Good space, good energy. Yeah, for sure. Always want to make sure the guests are actually doing well, not the surface. Not the surface. Yeah. So when you say you good, that means you good. That means I'm good. That means great, great, great. That means I'm at peace. That means that um I'm aligned. Yeah. Yeah. At peace. That's a um, I don't know if it's still a buzzword, but you know, protect your peace, don't disturb the peace and all of that. <laughs> yeah. What does that peace look like for you? Yeah. I think for me, um, for me it looks like alignment. Hmm. Right. There there have been you know, seasons in my life where I didn't feel aligned. I didn't feel aligned with my purpose. I didn't feel aligned with my um, my destiny. Gotcha. Right? So for me, it feels like alignment. It doesn't mean that things are perfect, but it means that um, that I'm where I need to be. Yeah. Right? No drama, no chaos. You know what I'm saying? Um, this isn't the platform for that anyway. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, no, no major stressors. Things are well. Yeah. So we'll get into your story, man. We, um, this is... For the newcomers, this is Nate's second time on the platform. He joined a a panel style event that we did yeah. several months ago. Yeah. Very, very impactful. I think a lot of relationships were born out of that. Yeah. And um, thank you, number one. Yeah, no, Make sure you sure. get your flowers. You brought us all together, man. I'm a connector, man. I, I've accepted that. Yeah. Right. If there's anything that I'll that I'll tout is I'm a connector. You know, yeah. my goal is to be behind the camera and create opportunities. But until then, <laughs> we have conversations. Like this, we'll probably still continue to have conversations, but 
my passion is to just create beautiful black stories responsibly. Yeah. That's the goal. Yeah. So uh, for those that, that didn't catch that part or have been living under a rock and haven't seen you viral on <laughs> many platforms, how would you how would you present yourself to others that don't know you? Yeah, I would I would present myself as a um, servant, son, and friend, right? I would pre- present myself as somebody who uh, pioneers the concept of masculine vulnerability, mm. which is something that I think um, for some... For some men, it's taboo. Yeah. Uh, but it's extremely necessary, you know. Um, I would consider myself to be an extremely transparent guy um, and somebody who's accountable, right? And and also pioneering that as well. Yeah. So we'll Let's, get into all of that for yeah, sure. Yeah, for, for sure. For sure. But let's kind of walk the story, man. Where are you from? I'm from Philly. Philly, Philly. Philly. Yep, 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 yep. I'm from North Philly. Um I was I was born and raised in Philly um, until I was about 14, 15, and then I moved to New Jersey for a couple of years. Then I moved to Dallas when I was I was 16. But yeah, I still rep Philly. Yeah. yeah. Early days, what was what was uh Philly like when you stepped when you, when you jumped off the porch, what was Philly like? What did you see? <laughs> you know what Philly was fun. Yeah. Philly was fun. Uh, back in those days. Um spent a lot of time outside, right? Um, played some video games, but spent a lot of my time outside. So riding bikes, playing basketball outside. Um, believe it or not, I was in the martial arts when I was younger. So I did, did some of that. Yeah. My dad actually, um, I think he was like a brown belt in Kung Fu growing up. So, um, so we, I developed that love for martial arts through him. Um, he was also really good at flipping. He was like a gymnast when he was a teenager. Yeah. But he carried that on into his his uh, his earlier years. So um, I used to grow up watching him flip for the kids in the neighborhood and the yard, just stuff like that. Um, so Philly was fun. Philly was chill. Um, you know, the '90s. There was some. There was some. You know, I grew up in an impoverished neighborhood. Okay. Um, I grew up in a neighborhood where there was there was a lot of drug activity and stuff like that. But I mean, on my block, it was just, it was fun, you know? Yeah. There was never a dull moment. Sometimes there were people outside fighting, you know what I'm saying? Sometimes a SWAT, SWAT team would come in on a block. Just, just you know, but it was, it was a lot of fun. Sounds a lot like of fun a movie at all times. Yeah. What was the, um, your eyes kind of sparkled when you talked about your dad. I don't want to get to that, but help us understand what the family dynamic was. Who's in the house? Yeah, for sure. So, um, so... So I told you all of that about my dad, right? But uh, my dad was actually a pastor in Philly for 14 years. So he would, um, kids from the neighborhood would come knock on the door and um, ask him, man, can you come outside? Can you flip for us? Different things like that. Um, but yeah, I, the family dynamic was I had my mom, both my mom and my dad in the home. Okay. Um, they were they were active in ministry um, growing up. So I grew up in the church. Yeah, gotcha. I was I was in church every every time the doors were open. Yeah, gotcha. so Sunday. Wednesday, Saturday for cleanup or uh, Kids Club, whichever one was going on. Noah's Art Kids Club is what they had um, back in the day. So I spent a lot of time, spent a lot of time in church, spent a lot of time um, at home. You know, we have family night once a week, just different things like that. So the dynamic was was pretty cool. It was me, my mom, my my dad, my sister growing up. So family of four. Was was being a church kid a burden or was it just a natural part of the family flow? Um, that's a really good question. I would say, um, it became a burden at times because sometimes church, um, interfered with things that I really wanted to do. You don't say. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I'll give you an example. Growing up, I, I played a lot of basketball. I remember being in middle school and, um, I was on a basketball team and I remember my parents saying, um, okay, you can play basketball, but on the nights that we have church, I don't care if there's a game going on or whatever the case may be. Um, yeah, you need to be in church. So, um, so imagine imagine playing basketball, <laughs> and we have a game coming up, and this is Wednesday night, and we have service on Wednesday night, and I can't play. You know what I'm saying? Like it, my coaches didn't understand. So here's what's um, what's interesting in. <laughs> and and deepens our bond right there. <laughs> so I couldn't play. I grew up seven day Adventist. I wasn't allowed to play on the Sabbath. 
But yours was a little bit deeper in that if there's a church event, you couldn't play. play. So I, my complaints are irrelevant at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you probably had uh, once a week, right? Yeah, are irrelevant at this point. And, it, and to take it further, I was, I was so, I was so annoyed at that because it wasn't. I didn't have a say in it. I was in their house, right? They have right. the rules. They make the rules, and, and what they say is what they say. Right. I felt like I should have a say in it. Mm. My dad did not. It wasn't even a conversation to really entertain. So I didn't even try out because I didn't want the embarrassment of not being able to play half of the games. Mm-hmm. Hindsight, I probably should have right. because it would have developed me and maybe the story would be, that would be a story. Right. Now I just have high basketball IQ and telling my son how to play and I have no, no tape. Right, exactly. exactly. <laughs> you can't go on YouTube and right. figure out what I did. Right. How did that... Um, how did you how did you negotiate that in your mind, loving basketball? Did you feel like it was taken away from you? Did you have resentment toward the church or church activities to God specifically? How yeah. did that play out? Yeah. So um I didn't have resentment. Um, I think for me, it caused me to develop a deeper understanding of uh, what I didn't want to do hmm. if I if I happened to have a child who had a passion for a particular thing that may conflict with with church. Um, I'm, I'm of the understanding that even if, you know, something falls on the same day as church service, it doesn't mean that I'm putting that before God. It just means that right. it falls on the same day. You right. know what I'm saying? Uh, whereas I think in in my parents' mind, they may have felt like I may have been prioritizing over something over God, and so for me, I don't, I um, I don't believe that church and God are synonymous. They're not. So well, <laughs> I agree, right? And a friend of mine, actually, friends now grew up in church with me. He was more like an older brother like mm-hmm. somebody that I envied, the cool guy, mm-hmm. had the Jordans, had the, you mm-hmm. know, all of that. And um, he used to hoop with me, right? I always grew up hooping with people that were six, seven, ten years older than me. I was a little sure. guy on the court, right? And he posted something about um, religion. And my response was that in my mind, the purpose of religion is to facilitate a deeper relationship with God that yields good fruit. Mm. Right. The challenge that I have with all religions is man's influence on it, mm. because sometimes it tradition rituals kind of supersede relationship. In my in my experience, right? I think you can have both. You can have religion and have a great relationship with God. But when you say church and God are not synonymous, I went to that in my mind, um, because I was good at understanding the religion. Very limited experience with relationship mm. until I got older. Till I got older. There's actually, um, when you said that, when you talked about uh, basically man's involvement, mm-hmm. right? Um, there's actually a verse that said, there's nothing more powerful than the word of God than the needless traditions of men. That's actually a verse in the Bible, right? Um, I don't think that verse is saying that traditions are actually more significant than the word of God. Um, I think that verse is saying that a lot of times people influence buy into the traditions mm-hmm. of men yeah. um, almost to the point where they make it more significant yeah. than God's actual word. Right. Right. I'm not saying at all. That's what my parents did. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, what I am saying is that um, sometimes we have to be careful when it comes to um, how we interpret what it means to be committed to God. Mm hmm. I think relationship drives that. That was my, that's my, that's been my point and that's been my journey over the last probably five to seven years, the last couple more intensely mm-hmm. is understanding how I interact with God mm-hmm. and what he requires of me. Right. So that's not to turn this into a Bible study that wasn't yeah, no. intent, but, um, so yeah, let's, let's get out of Philly. You went from Philly to Jersey. What was that jump like and what drove that change? Yeah, I think it was, uh, um, you know, my parents, when I, when I was living in Philly, um, my parents were paying for private school for me and my sister. Mm. Okay, so, um, 
they got to a point where they they had to make a decision. They said, okay, look, we can continue to pay for private school for, you know, you and your sister, or we can just increase our mortgage, <laughs> right? Get a better house, but you'll be in a school district that won't require you to go to private school. Right. It'll be so. Basically, when I moved to um, New Jersey, I ended up being in. Um, so the high school that I went to when I was in New Jersey was the number two high school, I believe, in the nation at the time. What part of Jersey? South. It was um, it was South Jersey. It was a little little town called Washington Township. Okay. Are you familiar? I, I know Willingboro. I know okay. Marlton, Cherry okay. Hill. Have you heard of Glassboro before? Nah. Okay. So it's it's not too far from Willingboro. Okay. Willingboro, but um, so I ended up going there. You know, we 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 were in a better school system. And then uh, we had a nicer house, so that transition was 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 pretty nice. Yeah, my my dad came to the um, to the realization that private school wasn't yielding. Let me take that back. I was not taking advantage of private school as they thought it would. I wasn't bearing the fruit, right? I wasn't a terrible kid, but I was the. But also, why? You know what I mean? If you tell me to do something, why? Right. <laughs> Not really bucking that authority, but something. If I didn't understand it, I didn't understand it, right. and, and you were going to understand that from my tone and my my posture. Right. So I went to public school, ninth grade, and um, the people there were confused because they didn't know me from middle school. Like I wasn't matriculating with a lot of people, so they didn't know I was in ninth grade. So I didn't get beat up, right? Because I was <laughs> I went I went to ninth grade. I'm like five eleven, right. probably 160, 170 pounds. So I looked. Different, and by the time people figured out, oh, you're supposed to pick on you. But it was a, it was a it was a huge transition for me because I went from small schools to a sea of black people, okay. right? Just interacting, and and it was the adjustment for me was more. I wasn't overwhelmed, but I was just seeing things and people differently than I would see on a regular basis. What right. was your transition from from private to to public school like? Um, I would say, yeah, that, that transition could be a bit overwhelming, right? Because, in, because in public school, you get a little bit more of everything, right? So, um, the school that I ended up going to in, in New Jersey was huge. Mm. I mean, compared to a small little private school, uh, you know, in, um, in Philly, yeah, the schools that I went to in um, in New Jersey, they were huge. Yeah. Right? Not only that, but there was a disparity in um, in income, right? So my household income versus, <laughs> you know, the the income um, in the household of my peers, right? So, I mean, you got kids pulling up to school in brand new Mercedes, mm. BMWs, you know, fancy cars, and it's like, yo, I took the bus here. Right, you know what I'm saying. So um, I I would say that 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 was a that was a huge adjustment. Just kind of watching that. Yeah, and then you moved to you moved to Dallas. How old were you when you moved to Dallas? Uh, I was 16. Okay, so you finished high school here. Finished high school. Okay. What was the what was that um what was that transition like? Because Dallas is very different from East Coast. Mm -hmm. Like it's almost like a like a you see East Coast people when you're here. (laughs) Like you're not from here. You're not from from here. Um, I hated it. Yeah, I hated it. Uh, to me, when I moved here, so I moved here back in 2004, Dallas was a lot slower Okay. Um, at that time than it is now, right? 2004, I was getting engaged. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So my high school. Yeah, oh, yeah. Boy. Yeah, no, for real. So um, that was, that was tough. And, 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 and to, to make it even worse, um, we actually didn't move to Dallas proper. Okay. We moved to Richardson. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So you go from Philly to Jersey. You know, it's it's a suburb, right? But it's still really close to the city. If we want to go have fun or whatever it may be, we can we can go right back to the city. Then I move to Richardson. Uh, Richardson, you know, it's it's not going to have a public trans you know transit system like Philly, New Jersey is going to have. So now I'm out here without a car. You know what I'm saying? Everything. So it was it was a it was a tough it was a tough transition for sure. I hated it. Um, when I initially moved out here. Why'd you move here? My parents felt like this is where they were called to be. Okay. So, um, 
it was it was their decision to kind of to come out here and, and have a fresh start. Yeah. So I want to I want to get into what people on your platform clearly know you for, but I want to kind of walk how you landed in this space, right? Mm-hmm. So your your um what you champion is is this concept no disrespect of masculine vulnerability. Mm-hmm. How we get there? Um, that's a phenomenal question. So the pendulum, uh, I would say the pendulum swung from one extreme to another. So uh, for me, so I was married for five years. Mm. And in that marriage, I was not vulnerable. I was not transparent, right? Um, I remember we divorced. And after that divorce, I began to go on this journey. Mm-hmm. Like, yo, I don't, I don't want there to, I don't want to have secrets. I don't want to um, pretend. I don't want to fabricate. And so that journey began in me first, right? By, by me being transparent with the people that were around me, mm-hmm. right? Um, fast forward, um, July of last year, my dad died. And I remember thinking to myself, like, I know that my dad died with some things in him. Right. And so, uh, for me, I really wanted to put myself in a position not to die with things in me. And so he died, he died in July and August is when I began to post videos on Instagram, just sharing from my heart about a myriad of different things. Um, and sharing very transparently, you know, um, and then I begin to see how it began to affect people. They're mm-hmm. like, man, like this is something that we need. Thank you so much for being transparent. Thank you so much for being vulnerable. Um, I can definitely tell you that a lot of women appreciate it, but I could tell that a lot of men, you know, it was, it wasn't something that was native to them, but I would have guys that would reach out to me in my DM, like, man, thank you so much for saying what I didn't have the courage to say. And what I began to realize is that, um, although men have a desire to be vulnerable, they look at it as a sign of weakness. And so a lot of times they don't want to open up about, uh, their past, their fears, their struggles, their pain. Um, and I began to realize like, yo, this is, this is what's necessary. This is what's necessary for me. It's, 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 um, therapeutic for me, Mm -hmm. but in the process, it's also impacting, um, uh, other people. And so I just went on this journey of just sharing from my heart. Well, you say um, men typically see it as a sign of weakness. I agree with that, but I also challenge the thought of do we see it as a sign of weakness in us or do we fear that others will see it as a sign of weakness in us? Mm. Because you know, like there, there's something inside of you that that urges you, that compels you to be a thing, sure. but you fight it, yeah. right? And I don't know how much of that is fighting it because I believe I shouldn't be that way or sure. what will other people think? Yeah. I think it could be a combination of both. Um, sometimes when you do something that's not native to you, um, because it's new, it feels like a weakness or you feel weak in it, right? Um, but then secondly, because of the conditioning of men, um, you know, through media, through various forms of media or um, through things that may have been passed down. You know, you see a young, a young boy, he's crying about something. Um, and then a parent or someone in the family or someone around says, stop crying because men don't cry. But now we're conditioning that boy um, to believe that if he cries, that's not a masculine trait. Cause that's not something that guys do. So without, without realizing it, we actually, we actually have been conditioned to believe that vulnerability, that the sharing of emotion, that admitting when we're wrong by expressing how we feel is a weakness. Yeah. And then, so sometimes we adopt that as an identity, mm-hmm. you know? So it's interesting that, um, that, that don't cry as a command also teaches them that it's that easy to turn off. Mm. 
Like that's the muscle that we build through that command is, no, you can absolutely stop crying immediately right now because somebody told you to. Mm. Then you tell yourself to, and you don't allow yourself to feel those feelings. I want to I want to jump back to a little bit before um, the five year marriage. What did you see in your home that prepared you or gave you a perspective of marriage? that caused you to agree that you were ready to be married? Or were you? Because I might be putting, <laughs> I might be putting something. I, I don't really know if it was what I saw in my home that made me decide that mm-hmm. I was ready to be married. I think it was what I saw in my life that made me feel like I was ready to be married, right? Now, hindsight is twenty twenty. I probably wasn't ready to be married at the <laughs> right. time, right? Um, but because I, there were some things in me that I needed to work through, I believe, before before I got married. Um, but I, I, yeah, I think it was. I think that there were some things that I felt in my life. I would say, right, um, that made me decide to to get married. Yeah, and the reason I ask that is because I, um, my parents just celebrated 50 years of marriage this year, a couple months ago. Mm. And I always saw the mechanics, Mm. but I didn't really understand the journey Mm. or the process. Mm -hmm. So when I jumped into it, I'm comparing the, where I am in my life and where they were in their life. So I should, I I should be ready by now Mm -hmm. because that's what happened with them. My sister kind of followed suit. And I'm not, I'm not dismissing that I was madly in love with my wife. Right. I still am. <laughs> and right, I don't right, want to marry right. her. But you start to look at that timeline, you start to, I think we naturally start to compare timelines. And especially if you saw something that you think was successful, that's what success is for you. So when I got into marriage, I could duplicate what I saw my father do. Sure. But what my father did for my mother didn't necessarily work for my wife. 100%. And we didn't have conversations about this is why. Sure. Or here's what I'm actually doing. Here's my thought process. Here's, here's how I felt when I was ready to get married. Yeah. We had a lot of, uh, we missed a lot of opportunities to have meaningful conversations where we could have celebrated lessons being passed versus common trauma. Your relationship with your father, what did you see him model that showed up in you in preparation for marriage as you was going through this process. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that he died with, he passed with some things in him that you know, you know there were things in him that weren't communicated to you. Mm-hmm. So you've taken on that, not burden, but it has opened your eyes to the need to actually get these things out. What was the da- dynamics like in terms of becoming a man based on the relationship that you have with your father? So uh, my relationship with my father as a man was not the best relationship, mm. right? But we, our relationship, me as a man, um, having a relationship with my father, it was it was um, almost non-existent, right? It was, it was not, or if it was existent, it wasn't healthy for many years. Right. Um, uh, I would say that sometimes who we become is a direct result of seeing a parent that we don't want to become. Absolutely. <laughs> you Absolutely. know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I think, I think for me, uh, my desire to be married and wanting to do it the right way has something to do with the fact that I saw, um, you know, in, in latter years, it being done the wrong way. Yeah. Um, now with that being said, for many years, my dad was a great father. He was a great husband. And so, um, I think, I think because of that, I believed in, in marriage because I saw that model in the home. Yeah. Um, then I also believe that a part of wanting to get married, um, especially when you're young, 
has to do with your beliefs around marriage. Sure. As well. Yeah. Right. So it has to do with, you know, um, not wanting to sin <laughs> indefinitely. Right. <laughs> like, yo, at some point I gotta, I gotta grow up, you know what I'm saying? Commit yeah. and, and do things, you know, yeah. uh, essentially <laughs> the right way. <laughs> right. You feel what I'm saying? Church kid guilt. Yeah, no, hundred yeah. percent. So, I mean, I saw that in my dad. Um, I saw that in my dad, of course, by the time I was born, they were already married, but I saw, saw a man early on that, um, just tried to do things, you know, the right way. What changed, um, in your relationship with your father? I know for, for me, I went through a stage where I didn't want his information. Mm. He wasn't going to force the information on me. He's old school, right? Mm. His dad didn't really talk to him. It was, I provide, mm stay in a child's place. And then he lost his dad as he became a man. So somewhere around 2021, 20, he lost his father. So he never had a father as a man, mm -hmm. as an adult. Mm -hmm. I realized that a lot later, but somewhere around 14, 15, 16 specifically, because I started driving, mm -hmm. I would time when my dad was coming home. Mm -hmm. Now I'd make sure I had all my chores or whatever I had to do my responsibilities. I wasn't crazy, right? Mm -hmm. I still needed a place to live. Mm -hmm. But I was putting space between me and him in the wedge just naturally got bigger. Mm -hmm. No real beef. Mm -hmm. We didn't square up. Mm -hmm. I didn't see him do something that I didn't like. I just didn't like his rules. Yeah. If you're open to peeling those pages yeah, yeah. back, what, no, what, sure. what changed? Um, I, there, man, there were so many different things. I could, and, and we could, we could spend, we could spend a, a large amount of time on this. Right. I mean, it could be but part, there, part part two and three, <laughs> you know. But there were there were a couple of things, um, and it's so funny because I just I just told you earlier on in our conversation that um, one of the things that I I believe I'm pioneering is accountability. Mm. Um, so let's let's take it back to the connection between um, how things begin to fall apart between me and my dad had a lot to do with the, the fact that he wasn't accountable. So that was what, that was one, that was one major thing. Um, for instance, I'll give you an example, right? I, I, um, I just came back from Philly, uh, yesterday morning. And when I was in Philly, you know, I was there, um, with my mom for a wedding and, um, we were, we were in the car. I was driving to, to a particular location. I was talking to her about my dad. And um, for the first time, I found out that she, he actually admitted to her that he was unfaithful to her in the marriage um, at one point. I was like, mom, really? I said, that's crazy because for years he denied it with me and my sister, right? Like right. So he wasn't, he wasn't necessarily accountable to us. Maybe he was accountable to her at one stage, but he was never, um, he wasn't really accountable to us. And then there were some things that, that he did, you know, um, you know, in terms of like betrayal when it came to me and my sister that that affected our relationship long term. Thankfully, you know, last two two to three years of his life, we were able to reconcile. I was actually with him the day he died, you know. Wow. So um thankfully, thankfully we were able to reconcile. But yeah, those things put a strain on our relationship for sure. You were with him the day that he died. Was he was it a long term illness or was there some expectation that his that his health was deteriorating or his condition was his health was declining, but he was stable. So I had okay. seen him three weeks prior to him actually passing. Um, I had seen him for Father's Day. I went to go visit him and, you know, um, he was pretty much like bedridden, but he was stable. Like, you know, there was no expectation that he was going to pass away. And then all of a sudden things kind of took a turn for the worse. And Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. 
Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Yeah. So we got a call from his wife. He, you know, things are not looking well. You know, you guys may want to come, come and visit him. So we, um, we got in the car and we were there the next day. And, uh, we were with him the day he died. What was he in a condition to have any meaningful conversations in the last moments or the last phase of a period weeks? Yeah, no, he wasn't. So um, I hadn't had a meaningful conversation with my dad probably in like the last two years of his life. Mm. Um, he had had a series of strokes that took away his ability to actually talk. Wow. So last two years of, of his life, it was kind of just like, you know, we're, we're going to visit him and, and be present, you know, and we could talk to him, but it was really hard to understand what he was saying to us. Yeah. What was or is has been the grieving process Yeah, to process that. Yeah. So I think for us, um, the interesting thing about grief is that sometimes it doesn't feel the way that you think it's going to feel, you know? So in my grieving, I think I may grieve it a little bit differently than my sister grieves it. Um, my sister, you know, still cries sometimes, you know, um, and thinking about our dad. I think for me, um, in my grief, I tend to just think about the good times. Hmm. Ironically enough, right? I just, I kind of sit and just think about the times when we were younger and things were a little bit more simple. Um, And when he was a very present father and, you know, the ideal husband, I tend to think about those times and and I actually get joy when I think about that. So I guess that's probably my way of kind of just processing through everything and kind of grieving um, his loss is just thinking about a good time. Do you think that maybe in the process of the relationship being frayed, maybe you had, and I don't know how long that was between the relationship going sour and to the point where he could no longer communicate as effectively, but did that space allow you time to process, get over is a bad word, so forgive me, a bad phrase, but to make sense of maybe any potential resentment you had or any issues that, like, did you grow through it in that space of time to where when he did pass, you were at an emotional point where you kind of grieved the loss of the relationship or the change in the relationship and you decided to focus on the good? Yeah, I, I would say um, the thing that that caused me to reconcile his shortcomings was understanding mine. Once you've been married and you've failed in that marriage, um, now the things that you judge your father for, <laughs> you're now able to to understand a little bit more because you've now walked in his shoes um, in a sense. Yeah. You understand his shoes, whether you walk them or not. You yeah, you understand it, right? Yeah. So one of the things that helps us not to judge people is us putting ourselves in the shoes of the people that we're judging, right? To try to understand their perspective. So I had a lot more grace for my dad once I had my own failures. Yeah. Um, didn't necessarily excuse some of the things that were done, but um, you begin to understand you know, like my dad, my dad's dad died when he was seven. So he didn't have um, a man in his house to actually groom him to be a man. So everything that he became as a man, he came through trial. He became through trial and error. Um, and then you think about um, the fact that he got married when he was 19. If I would have got married when I was 19, I probably would have, you know, messed some things up as well. Disaster. Because I'm so young, yeah. but I'm so um, ambitious to do the right thing that I may have gotten myself into something prematurely. And now the man that I am at 30 versus 19 is totally different. My desires are changing. My curiosity is peaking. Um, really in my, and really in your thirties, you know, life expectancy is like 70. So really in your thirties, you're going through your midlife crisis, right? So as I begin to process through my own failures, it caused me to take a step back to, um, to begin to process through his journey. Yeah. And I think that that's what caused me to have more grace for my my dad. So the genesis of this show 
is me coming to the realization somewhere around 39, 40, 40, everything changed that my oldest son was at the age I was when I started rejecting information from my dad, <laughs> right? Or not, not rejecting it because he <laughs> you can't exactly turn away from my dad and in his house and that'd be okay, right? <laughs> but you would kind of tune him out. And I was so hell bent on making life different for him. Like we think about the basketball thing, what the restrictions were, what religion denied me because of the practice in my mind that I wanted to go all the way to the opposite end. And I ended up not parenting effectively. Mm. It's more like, be cool. Just let things happen. Let her figure it out. And that was a disservice. So it's, dear son, what I wish my father told me, right? So what we didn't discuss, what I wish we discussed sooner, and what things, thankfully, my dad is still alive that we're discussing now, but I want the timeline to be very different for all of my children, but specifically mm. in the vein of dear son. Mm. What are, what are some, some critical things that you wish your father told you? There's some things that I wish my dad would have taught me, you know. Um, so my dad was a pastor. Um, I know a lot about the Bible. I know a lot about um, religion. There was some, I was just having this conversation earlier today. There are some practical life things um, that I didn't get from my dad that I wish I would have gotten. Like, um, I wish he would have taught me to change a tire. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, now, he taught me how to tie a tie. You know, but that that fits in line with <laughs> being a being yeah, presentable to go to church, right? right. Um, but there are just some practical things. Um, me and my dad, we didn't really talk about sex. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, um, I learned that somewhere else. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like there were some things that we just, you know, um, he he didn't teach me about women. I, I learned about women. I mean, that's 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 a pretty big deal, right? Yeah. Like I learned about women on my own now. You know, thankfully, I was, <laughs> you know, thank, thankfully, I was adept enough to gather the information I need to gather. But there's some things about life, man, yeah. you know, that I that I wish that he would have taught me. Yeah, you referenced um, some people grow up in a house and they see a parent be a certain way and they hard left or hard right or they mimic it. It's not really a lot of in between, in my opinion. Sure. Like you kind of double down on what you've seen or you know you don't want to be that. So you, you put your focus on not being that, sure. right? Sometimes to the detriment, we want to be so, we want to show them that we're different than them sure. and we are okay despite or in spite. Sure. I've realized that some of, some of my parenting style has been more rooted in revenge and resentment, mm. right? So I've been thinking through this, this theory of revenge parenting. How much of you, your decision to be right, to do right, to tap into this masculine vulnerability um, concept, theory, principle, is showing people in your past that in spite of I'm going to be this and how much of it is natural, genuine desire to just yeah. be better. I think that uh, that most of it comes from a place um, that says that this is necessary for my emotional well-being and the emotional well-being of the people around me, you mm -hmm. know? And so um, I think for me, it's it's not really even for other people, right? Like, it, it's, it's mostly for me. Yeah. You know? Because I want to be the best version um, of a man that I can be. You know, now I will say that um, seeing my parents' marriage fall apart caused me to go on a journey before I got married that said, uh, you know, marriage is not really important right now mm. until it became important to me, right? So um, I will say that some of that was kind of like a, you know, um, Hey, I'm going to do the complete opposite because y'all got married young and you, you, you know, the marriage didn't work out. So for me, like, there's no need for me to get married super, super young because there's a possibility that it won't work out. So I might as well have some fun, you know, yeah. um, within this time frame, and then decide, decide to get married when I feel like I'm ready. Right. Yeah. 
Did your respect for the institution of marriage waver? I get that you realized you wanted to do it later and not as soon, but did what you saw of your parents' marriage um, falling apart, did it change your respect for the institution of marriage? Because they were, you said they were church leaders, your dad was a pastor, mm -hmm. and not that that makes them immune to the problems of the world, we're mm -hmm. still in the world, mm -hmm. right? 100%. I think it did, I think it did momentarily. Okay. I think that there was a period of time where it's just like, man, like marriage is the furthest thing from my Support mind. That. Like, yeah, I'm cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I came to a space where I felt like, you know what, I need to be married. Let's let's uh let's pull that thread because say that on the surface, if I were to explain that to my wife as part of the reason we got married, it wouldn't go over so well. What does that mean? Like how do I get it completely what you're saying? Sure. But if this were a clip, sure. I could understand how people may or may not react, but sure. would it, I need to get married. What does that, what does that mean for you when you say it? Sure. Um, I think for me, it just, it meant that uh, I'm done playing the field, mm. that I need to hone in. I need to focus. I need to become lean when it comes to how I'm spending my time, how I'm spending my energy, how I'm spending my resources. Yeah. I need to grow up a little bit in this particular area of my life. Um, again, hindsight is twenty twenty. That is not an health. That is not a healthy reason to get married. Right. Right. But that was my line of reasoning at the time. And so, <laughs> you know, you look back on it and you say, "Man, like, if I could, if I could, if I could do that one over again, I probably would choose a different reason." Yeah. You know what I'm saying? To um to get married, but um that was that was my line of reasoning at the time. And I, and, and I and I acknowledge at this stage of my yeah. life that that was not a healthy reason to get married, but that's that's the the mind frame that I was in. I, th I think your explanation is uh, is going to help folks because knowing the why and acknowledging how that has evolved over time, I think is important because marriage doesn't fix getting married doesn't end the phase of your life that you didn't want to end for any other reason. And it didn't. It did, right? Um, maybe it ended it momentarily, right? Ended it for a few years. Yeah. You know? And then when I got when I got to a space in the marriage where the marriage um was not enjoyable for me, that phase that I came out of resurfaced. But at at a inopportune, inappropriate time. Yeah. Right. So getting married doesn't um doesn't resolve an issue in you hmm. that's unresolved. It doesn't even mask it. Right. It's not a band-aid for yeah. it. Yeah. So you have to make peace with uh, whatever that is prior to getting into marriage. Marriage, if not, then you carry that, you carry that into the marriage and that's when it becomes an issue. Yeah. Yeah. What um you want to be married again? I do. Why? I think that I think that marriage is a beautiful thing. And I actually think that I was created to be married. Um and I see the I see the benefit of a man and a woman committing their lives to each other mm -hmm. um and assisting each other when it comes to reaching destiny. Right? Um there's some things that can only be done when when two people join for forces and yeah. And pace towards getting that done. So I want to get that done with somebody I love. Do you do you think the um that a whole phase is important or necessary? I can give you the politically correct answer. And I can I can and I can I, you know. What'd you come here for? <laughs> <laughs> you can't hit me political though. What we doing? Um do I think that the whole phase is necessary? Or important? I don't think it's necessary. I don't, I don't necessarily think that it's important. 
I think that um, there are healthy marriages that have two people that didn't experience that whole phase, right? Um, I do understand that without a without a whole phase, there's going to be um, extreme curiosity that must mm-hmm. be tempered within that marriage. Yeah. <laughs> um. But uh, no, I don't. I don't think. I don't think it's necessary. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it's necessary. So I um, I wasn't. We weren't virgins when we got married. Uh, speaking for for my household, and the the more I mature, I understand the logic of having a single partner for life, because every experience creates an expectation for the next experience. Mm-hmm. So when you're experiencing a multitude of different people. Sometimes you find yourself looking for all of those experiences in your forever mate. And there's a constant, whether it's conscious or unconscious, comparison to what this experience is from my last experience with this person and also all the other people that you may have had experiences with. So it complicates things. Mm-hmm. So I don't have a perch to sit, to sit on and judge people, but I understand the logic and the psychological um, relief that limiting your partners, <laughs> mm-hmm. especially having one to learn and grow with, mm-hmm. right? Because anybody that says, well, how will they know? Well, neither one of you would know if you were just learning each other. 100%. Right? And this is, this is hindsight. Yeah, maybe, no, maybe this, is, this is dad yeah. D. Johns. This yeah, is not yeah. 19, yeah. 20. Yeah. But I kind of... I kind of get it. Um, do you think, like, how do you approach this next season of pursuing that? Like, what's important to you? Not what is your perfect partner, because I don't want anybody, they're already in your DMs, but I don't want nobody. <laughs> like, yo, you the plug? No, no, no. But like, what, what things do you value differently now in this phase than you did when you thought you were ready to get married? So, um, so in answering this question, I guess I would be giving away, um, no. you know, a, a little bit of, a little bit of. I mean, character can't be fake. People can present, but if you're talking about character traits, that's. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, I think for me, um, what I look for at this stage in my life has has a lot to do with who the person is inherently, mm. right? So I'll give you an example, right? I pay attention to how somebody treats somebody that can do nothing for them. Janitors, waitresses. Because that lets me know that you either value or don't value human beings, mm-hmm. Right? regardless of what status they are in life, right? Um, what happens if I lose everything tomorrow? I know that if that person respects the janitor and the waitress, then even if I lose everything tomorrow, they'll still respect me because it's it's more about interpersonal respect, right? As opposed to um, respect based upon status. Um, I pay attention to the things that are important to them, hmm. And I identify whether those things are important to me as well. Right? Not somebody who listens to what's important to me and then they morph into that because they know it's important to me. I really pay attention to what's important to them inherently. Yeah. And I identify if that aligns with what's important to me. I wish that I would have known to do that years ago. Yeah. You mentioned earlier the reference to had you been had you gotten married at 19 or 20 as your parents did, that version of you and the 30-year-old version of you are very different, right? What I know to be true is the 30-year-old version of you and the 35-year-old version of you are different, and the 40-year-old version of you would be different, and the 45-year-old version would be different. Mm. So as you evolve, your partner has to choose 
to accept every version of you. Mm -hmm. Do you think you're prepared and have you matured to the point where you're willing to accept every version of your partner from inception to death do you part? Yeah, for sure. I think it depends on the version. How so? And I'm I'm gonna preface this because we talked about how you've grown and what how you've matured the work that you've done. So my assumption, and walk me back if I'm wrong, is that you are more astute at picking or being open to who God says your forever partner mm -hmm. is. Mm -hmm. So there's that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think it's quite possible for someone to become a version of themselves that their partner may not appreciate. And then what? Depends on the magnitude of <laughs> that version. Okay, now, okay. I'm, now, put, I'm putting the stop yeah, in the revolving no, door. No, no, I'm no. Putting, the, putting the wedge in. Yeah, yeah, no, here, <laughs> so here's the deal, right? Um, marriage is supposed to be forever. Okay. The vow that we make to God in front of witnesses is for better or for worse in sickness and in health, so forth and so on. So based upon those vows, regardless of the version or how it morphs, how they morph, we're supposed to stick by them for better or for worse. Abuse so, aside. Say it again? Say abuse aside. That's me speaking. I'm not speaking for you. I feel you. No, I feel you. I feel you. That is, that is the tension that exists. That's the reason why I said it depends on the how how that version. Because I do believe that um that although we make that that vow to God, that there are certain scenarios that we all would probably agree yeah. are scenarios or versions that uh, might might be deal breakers, right? Yeah. But I would say for the most part, yeah. I mean, um, 95%, you know, you, you work through it. Yeah. You work through it. So, so what's one of your deal breakers? So you talked about physical abuse. Um, mm -hmm. Not abuse. Okay. You, yeah. you did. You said yeah. abuse, right. Yeah. Um, I think abuse is, is a deal breaker. Gotcha. And and abuse is not just physical. There's, there's verbal abuse. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And the impact that can have on, on people. Understanding that words are literally uh, creative forces. Right? And so how we use those words can can build or destroy someone literally. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So um, I would say abuse is one of those. Um, I, think that's, I think that's a major one. What's the, uh, what's the, the biggest benefit of your journey from then to now, as it relates to your pursuit of understanding masculine vulnerability. Part B, or rephrasing it. No, no, no. That's part A. Part B uh, is the people that knew you then that still know you now, what do they say about you? But I want to understand what you say about you first. The people that understood me then. When you say then. Mm -hmm. That saw your journey, right? There's, pe there's people that you met that maybe through the journey, I would imagine that when people get divorced, some people pick sides. 100%. Some, our friends that were your friends first go back to being your friends. Yeah. Right? And my friends, they, sometimes or sometimes they pick the other side. Yeah. But those that saw you then to now, yeah. what would they say? But I, I really want to know what you say about you first because that's what matters. Um. What's been the aha? What's been the, um, why has it been worth it? Mm, why has it been worth it? What I would say is uh, that I'm a man evolved. Obviously, I don't wish divorce on anyone, right? So divorce aside, the journey from divorce to now um, has been a necessary one. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, it's been a it's been a journey that has created a version of a, of, of a man that um, probably those that knew me before don't recognize. Yeah. Right. So with that being said, uh, those people may say a, a few different things. They may say they they may see me as inauthentic, right? Um, because they they know the version of of me that they they know at yeah. that you know that stage of my life. Um, and then there are those that applaud the journey because they've actually walked with me um, through it. So there are two sets of people. Um, there are people who knew me then and jumped off the journey with me, right? Um, based upon that season of my life. And so they actually didn't walk with me from that point to this point. Mm -hmm. And so those people may have, you know, um, a limited perspective of who I am because they didn't, they didn't get a chance to, they didn't take the time or didn't choose to walk that journey. And then there are those that knew me then walk with me on the journey and they know me now. Um, those people would say that Nate has done the work to become the man that he is today. Yeah. You know, the Dre's, you know what I'm saying? And the people who um, were committed to being in a relationship, you know, even when they didn't understand yeah. the journey. Yeah. Do you want children? I do. If you could pick the mix, what would it be? Um, I love to have a boy and a girl. What would your, uh, provided that it works out that way, what, what, um, what are the things that you want to ensure that he knows based on your journey? My son to know that it's okay to, uh, to express. I want my son to know that it's okay to make mistakes. And daddy's going to be here. Yeah. Right? Regardless of what those mistakes are. Um, I want my son, I would want my son to understand that it's okay to be honest. Even when you're afraid of the outcome. And that um, daddy won't judge. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And daddy is here to help you walk through whatever that failure is. You know what I'm saying? I'll sit, I'll sit in that failure with you. You know what I'm saying? Um, and I would want him to understand that vulnerability is beautiful. Even for a man. Especially for a man. Yeah. It's dope, man. Well, yeah. I, I definitely appreciate your vulnerability on this discussion. Some things that, um, Things I'd like to get to in another in another conversation. <laughs> the time is the time is far spent. Uh, but let's let's talk about let's end it on a bit of a lighter note. What what you have going on? I know you have some digital products. I know you have some some offerings. And like I said, if people, if you, unless you've been under a rock, um, I don't know how you haven't seen Nate in the past three to six what three to six months, three to eight months, mm -hmm. six eight months or so. Uh, what, what do you have going on that uh, how the people can engage with you, understand your offerings further? Yeah. Yeah, a couple things. So um, I have, uh, I offer one-on-ones with people, right? Um, where we can sit down and, and talk through whatever they're going through. People ask me, are you a therapist? No, I'm not a therapist, right? right? Disclaimer. I'm, I'm, right. <laughs> I'm a guy who um, has gone through his own journey. Right. And has learned a lot along the way. Also learn from the experience of experiences of other people. So um, I, I offer one-on-ones. Um, I'll actually be doing some group coaching here coming up as well. And then um, I have a 28-day self-love journal that people can download um, from natewithlove.com. Gotcha. You know what I'm saying? Where they can they can kind of process through, you know, their own pain. Yeah. Where's this going? Like you're 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 champion, you're championing um what I would call a movement. Or movement is kind of trite, but the words escape me. Um, where do you see it going? Like, what is the ultimate goal? Or are you just in the moment, enjoying the moment for what it is? Yeah. I'll tell you that, you know, today um, and every day I'm taking it one day at a time. But 
um, I can really see myself being a thought leader in this space around this this topic um, and traveling and inspire, inspiring groups of people to embrace masculine vulnerability. Yeah. You know, um, ultimately, I love to teach men um, around this, around this subject, you know, and to be an example. So poster child, maybe. You consider doing a podcast? Say it again. Have you considered doing a podcast? That is funny. <laughs> I mean, I'm sitting with the greatest podcast have producer we, have we, right have now. What's the, <laughs> what are you doing? So yeah, we filmed Hot the, seat. You said, do I have rapid fire? That's a rapid fire question. <laughs> when is episode one dropping? Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know what? Gonna, you, got about, you got about two weeks before we, this drops. I was just about to say, yeah. we're going to get it done within the next two weeks. I was just about to say okay. that. We're going to get it done within the next two weeks. Okay. We got, what, four episodes yeah. in the chamber right now. Yeah. So... Uh, we'll get we'll get episode one edited and uh, commitment. Yeah, <laughs> accountability. <laughs> two weeks. Accountability. Two weeks. We got the first one. It's a vulnerable one too. Accountability. And so I, I won't I won't date it specifically, but it's it's close to July twenty twenty three. Let's see. Look, yeah, we gonna be accountable. Yeah, look, let's it's, be accountable. It's June twenty eight. You said it. There it so, is. So uh, by July, let's just say by July twelfth. Um, About the fourteenth. All right, by July fourteenth, it'll be done. Yeah. My dad's birthday. I know. That's crazy. <laughs> it's my son's birthday, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we'll get it done. For yeah, sure. yeah. Dope, man. Again, I appreciate you coming on the platform, um, contributing in the past. Um, definitely a supporter. I appreciate it. Uh, you have a large platform, so I know that is a responsibility, and mm-hmm. you don't take it lightly. So I respect that. Uh, definitely, definitely rooting for you. Yeah, I appreciate <laughs> <about> that. that. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> How about man. that? Rooted for you. I appreciate it. And uh, I know there's nothing but great things on the horizon, man. Appreciate it. Listeners and viewers, have you done the necessary? Have you liked? Have you subscribed? Have you followed the show on the audio platforms? If you're on the audio platform, there's a link to the video. Do both. It helps the algorithm. Let us be great. Turn on your auto downloads. The podcast will be waiting for you on your device whenever you're ready to get to it. Um, I've enjoyed myself. Uh, Looking forward to seeing the trajectory of this rocket ship that you're on. And um, <laughs> I know it's going to be great. That's going to do it for this episode. We appreciate you guys. God bless you. Peace. Good. Yeah, how do I look? Huh? How do I look? Oh, man. Should have asked me 30 minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> Should have asked. No, you good. All right. Everything good, man. Good, good. One, two, three, four. Six, seven, eight. I just pull it out and count for nothing when I'm feeling great. Give my baby. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.